SEC fans, this is John Christ, senior writer for Saturday Down South. Welcome to another installment of the SDS Podcast. Coming to you from the iHeartMedia studio, WDAE in Tampa, Florida. 6.20 a.m. and 95.3 FM. You can follow me on Twitter at SaturdayJC. And our guest for this episode is Justin Strawn. He is the manager of For Whom the Cowbell Tolls, which is the Mississippi State site on the SB Nation Network. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at JStrawnFWTCT. Justin, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, glad to be here. And before we get started, the championship is just a few weeks out, but the standings are shaping up for an exciting matchup in the brand new, gorgeous Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Imagine not just attending the game, but experiencing it from a private luxury suite with your closest family, friends, and colleagues. SweetHop.com has access to the best suites in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the SEC championship game all with live pricing and availability right on their website. So check it out, and then you can lock in a suite when your team makes an appearance in a postseason game. Go to SweetHot.com, proud sponsor of the Saturday Down South podcast. And now Justin Strawn. Justin, needless to say, it's the game of the year in Starkville. Alabama is coming to Davis Wade Stadium in Week 11. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and a lot of people are excited about it. A lot of people are obviously... Some people are optimistic, a lot of people are pessimistic, and some people are just hoping for uh, a good showing and hopefully give the Bulldogs a chance in the fourth quarter. So emotions are kind of all over the place for Mississippi State fans when we go in this game, but I'm very looking forward to it. Yeah, I guess the first question I have to ask is, why would we have any impression that this result is going to be different than a year ago? I know we've seen more from Mississippi State in 2017 than we did in 2016, but needless to say, there was a lot of separation between the Bulldogs and the Tide a year ago. Granted, that game was in Tuscaloosa, but 51-3 to was not that pretty to watch if you're one of the Hale State types. I'm not expecting a similar result but paint me a picture of why this should be a heck of a lot more competitive game than we saw 12 months ago. Well, I think it basically boils down to the defense. Uh, Todd Grantham has come in and taken a defense that was not just one of the worst in the SEC, but one of the worst in the entire country and has elevated this group to one of the best in the country. If you look at their defensive rankings across the board, they're pretty much top top 15 at worst, like top 20 or top 30 in every statistical category. Uh, he's done a really nice job of getting this defense looking like it can actually do something. And that's that's where you, you have hope. I think if you're a Mississippi State fan that you can slow down the Alabama offense. Uh, and with Alabama having injuries, the, the injury problems that they are, especially at linebacker, with a quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald who puts a lot of pressure on the linebackers, that's where you're hoping that – Mississippi State can find some wiggle room and be able to have a chance in the fourth quarter. Because if you got a chance in the fourth quarter, then you never know what can happen. So it could end up being going uh, where Mississippi State pulls off a huge upset, or that could be that Alabama just wears them down and runs away at the end. So that's just kind of what you're hoping for at this point if you're a Mississippi State fan. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Nick Fitzgerald. He is the figurehead of this program and another product of what Coach Dan Mullen can do at the game's most important position. But I like the fact that you started with Todd Grantham. 
the new defensive coordinator. You know, he's a career guy in the league. He's been around a lot of places, Georgia, Louisville. He has a fantastic resume on that side of the ball, but he's had been he's been forced to plug a lot of holes on this defense from a year ago with JUCO guys. And that can sort of be a double-edged sword where, yes, the JUCO kids are a little older, maybe a little bigger and stronger, ready to contribute more so than a high school kid. However, he's brand new to the system. He might be only around for a year or two. So talk about some of these JUCO kids that have come in and how Grantham has fitted them into the system to success so far. Well, honestly, they, he hasn't done as much as we thought we were. He, they, Mississippi State went out last year, and they recruited quite a few Jugo guys. Uh, and my fear was, as the year was coming into it, as we're coming into this year, that Mississippi State was, would end up missing out, and a lot of those Jugo guys wouldn't play. And that's actually what has come true. A lot of the Jugo guys haven't played. The two that have played the most have been Montez Sweat, and he's been just an absolute beast uh, the last few weeks, and Jonathan Abram, who's going to miss the first half of the Bama game because he got called for targeting in the second half of the UMass game. But those are the only two that have really uh, been there. The rest of them, Chauncey Rivers, uh, he's going to, he had taken active with red shirt. There's a couple others I can't remember off the top of my head. But you haven't seen it as much as we thought we would. Now, then the two that have been there, they've been incredible. Uh, Montez Sweat, he kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. I think one of the I think that he's another reason why you have a little bit more hope after the Jordan Auburn game is because he's come along big time in the last few weeks and I think he gives you a better chance against Alabama to put pressure on Jalen Hurts. Uh, but he's been absolutely incredible. Uh, Jonathan Abram has helped uh, sure up a secondary that had tons of question marks uh, in it. Now that you're losing him for the first half, so that's again that that's an issue. Uh, you just kind of hope and pray that you don't get burnt in the secondary because of his absence in the first half. But those are the two that have – those are the only two that have contributed. It's just really a testament to Todd Grantham coming in and just scrapping everything that the old defense coordinator Peter Sermon did and saying, all right, we're, we're, we have talent here. Because that's basically – it's the same guys that we they used last year. And he just said, all right, we're just going to put you in better positions to make plays, and that's what he's done. Now, one guy we have not talked about yet is the most talented member of that defensive unit, and it's Jeffrey Simmons. He's obviously not a JUCO kid. He was a five-star kid out of high school who signed with the Bulldogs, and this is a program that doesn't get a lot of five-star talent. Now, when he came in, needless to say, there's a lot of things off the field that people didn't like. We don't need to rehash the video situation. That story is well over a year old at this point. I myself was very critical of Coach Mullen and this program for being way too lenient in terms of the punishment before this young man was allowed to see the field. But before we get into all that, the on-the-field product itself. Now, he flashed last year as a true freshman, but right now you can already make the argument he's maybe the best defensive tackle in the SEC. He's clearly lived up to that five-star billing in terms of pure on-the-field ability. Oh, yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, he is what makes the rest of the defense work. If, if he's not – I mean, if you go back and look at the two losses that Mississippi State had against Georgia and against Auburn, uh, he didn't have Corey Thomas on the uh, defensive line with him, so that allowed those two – offensive lines to just focus on him. They, they were double and triple teaming him, and nobody else was making plays. Uh, he and Corey Thomas, when those two are on the field together and they are working together, it is really difficult to stop. Corey Thomas is a big body, and he provides he, – he's just – got to send a couple of guys at him, plus you got to send a couple of guys at Jeffrey Simmons, and that, I think, is what has opened up for Montez Sweat on the outside. When Jeffrey Simmons is causing the havoc on the – uh, front lines like he is capable of doing, he may not always get the sack. He may not always get the tackle. 
but because there is so much attention that is being focused on him and because they're doing having to do so much to stop him, then there's just all kinds of lanes for the rest of the defense. And I think that is why, like I said, you've seen Montez Slip pick his production up the last couple of weeks is because he's gotten his his fellow lineman back in Corey Thomas, and that's made a huge impact on just what the defense has done altogether because they've been pretty much lights out the last uh, four weeks ever since those four winning streaks started. Slight minor exception against UMass, I think you can accredit most of that to just looking ahead, not really being interested in the game. Uh, some of State fans are worried. I'm not that worried about that UMass game just because you, you have one of those every so often. Now, we can't talk about young Mr. Simmons without bringing up the past. Again, just a real Cliff Notes version. Shortly after he signed with the Bulldogs, before he came to campus, video surfaced of him, uh, basically a street brawl at a family function and the like. And he was found on camera to be you know, smacking around a young woman who was lying on her back on the street. Now, he paid his price. He was suspended for a game. He had to do some counseling and this and that. And there's a lot of people who these days see Mr. Simmons on potential first-team all-SEC teams, and they don't like that because they see things like this and they just assume that he's a dirtbag and he's a gangster and he shouldn't have ever been on this team and they don't want to have to associate with him anymore. But the other side of the coin is he was handed a punishment and he went through that punishment. He's paid his price. He's worked his way back on the field. And it sure seems like he's done everything right since. We haven't heard a whole lot from him. He hasn't been made available to the media that often. He hasn't been asked about his uh, episode that often as well. But try to give us a peek behind the curtain as to what this young man is like, what he has done to get back in the good graces of that program. Because it certainly seems like, at this point, even if you hate the episode, he's paid the price and he seems to have done the right thing since then. Well, that's what it is. I mean, he's done what he's supposed to. I mean, from the, I was very critical of the coaching staff as well and of the athletic administration for being as lenient on him. Now, I understand a lot of the logic behind it, why, why they went and said what they did. I was, I was still very critical of them. Uh, a lot of these state fans weren't real happy with me when I was. But it's exactly like you said. He's done what he's supposed to. I mean, the one thing that this can become, and this is one thing that I did say, uh, at the time, yeah, I wasn't really happy with the way that they handled it. I thought that he should have been suspended longer. Um, but he can. this could be an actual true second-chain story that somebody actually uses and it pays off for him. The coaching staff, Scott Strickland at the time, who was the athletic director, they said they dug into his history. They, they uncovered every stone that they could to find out if this was an isolated incident or if this was a – a sign of things to come, and from everything that they could find is they said it was an isolated incident. And so far, they've been right. Uh, and if that's if it continues to be the case, then then you can question whether or not that those, the punishment was too soft, but he's done what he's supposed to. He hasn't – he's kept his nose clean. Uh, he hasn't done anything outside to bring attention to, to the football team, which is – what you want, especially when a guy who comes in with as much baggage as he did because of that one incident. So, like I said, you, you can hate the fact that he was supposed to, that he wasn't that mistake took him. But and I understand a lot of people say, well, you never should have offered him a scholarship. You never should have let him on campus. But somebody was going to. Uh, and Mississippi State said, well, if we're going, if somebody's going to, we might as well take we might as well take the big hit, and we'll just go ahead and do it ourselves. And like I said, I would have liked to see the bigger suspension. But to his credit, he has done everything that he's supposed to. And you can't ask for it. Once it's done and it's over, you can't ask for more than that. If you, do, if you line up, this is what you have to do, 
to keep your place on this team, keep your spot on the field. And if he does that, then you know that you just tip your cap to the guy. Well, it looks like it was an isolated episode. And as you suggest, let's hope this was a life-changing turnaround story because it seems like that's what it's developing into. And we certainly hope that's the case going forward. Let's flip to the other side of the ball and, of course, get back to the -the on-the-field product. You can't talk about this offense without talking about Nick Fitzgerald, who might be the most important offensive player to any team in the SEC. I've been a little critical of Fitzgerald in the past because – He's put up unbelievable numbers against soft defenses in the SEC and some of the cupcakes out of conference, but then he gets up against that legit SEC defense, and he really, really struggles. If you look at his game splits a year ago, the four best defenses he faced in conference, he was basically ineffective in four losses, but then he puts up monster numbers running and throwing against the softer defenses. It's been a little bit the same case this year. Not very effective against then number two Georgia, not very effective against then number two Auburn, a pair of losses. However, very effective against Texas A&M, very effective against LSU, a long-winded way of me saying Tell me more about Nick Fitzgerald, the 2017 version, the 26 versus the 2016 version. The 2017 version and the 2016 version, they are similar. There's no question about that. He is, I think, he is better as a passer. He's not as much better of a. He didn't take the same type of leap that Dak Prescott took from his sophomore junior season, which a lot of people were hoping for. Now, is it a is that a product of Nick Fitzgerald not growing as much, or is it a product of the the talent that Dak Prescott had around him. I tend to think it's more the first. Dak Prescott had a ton of weapons around him. He had Dorian Wilson. He had Fred Ross. Uh, his junior year, he had Jamion Lewis. Uh, he had an established uh, he had an established offensive line. This offensive line is trying to still was still figuring itself out at the beginning of the year. Uh, and but the receiving core that Mississippi State has it's it's banged up. It's beat up and. They're struggling. Uh, they've been struggling all year. Now, they've had some moments, but this receiving court, it's just having a really hard time uh, this year. They've, they've had a lot of drops. They don't get open very much. Almost every throw that Nick Fitzgerald has to make, is he's making them into tra- traffic. Uh, and plus, now he's got a ton of injuries. Donald Gray, uh, the number one receiver on the depth chart, we're not even sure if he's going to be able to play this week. He didn't play last week. Uh, Keith Mixon should be back. He's the slot receiver, uh, but it's not 100% on him either. Uh, they've had Malik Deer out all season long. Uh, and they've also, their number two receiver, Gabe Miles, they think he'll be back as well for this game, but once again, they're not sure. So his the weapons he has around him, it's not ideal to say the least. Now, he's done the rest of he's done what he's supposed to in most of these games, but if you go back and look, especially at the Georgia game, a little bit – not quite as much in the Auburn game, but almost every throw that Nick Fitzgerald had to make in those two games, those were 50-50 balls because the receivers just weren't getting wide open like they were when Dak Prescott was there. And those receivers weren't winning them. If you look at the Georgia game, there wasn't a single 50-50 ball that a Mississippi State receiver won won the battle on. And that's where I think Nick Fitzgerald is struggling. Yeah, he could make some better throws. There's no question about that. There are some that he sometimes throws a little bit behind the receiver. But nobody's perfect. But he's he's dealing with a receiving core that's that's beat up. It's not quite as talented as some of the other ones. But he has some guys along the way. Reggie Todd seems to have come along a little bit the last couple of weeks. He's gotten a bigger role in the offense. The big, huge tight end and Jordan Thomas. Uh, he's starting to make some plays. If the receivers can get up to speed and if they can start to play at a decent level, 
then I think you'll start to see Nick Fitzgerald's numbers come up. But it's just going to be really difficult with the receiver play that he's had so far this year. Now, what makes Fitzgerald truly special is not what he does with that right arm. It's what he does with those legs because he's bigger than most tight ends. He's faster than a lot of tailbacks, and he can just be incredible when he gets north and south. The last four games, over 100 yards. He scored in each of those games on the ground, and he has seven total touchdowns. But again, to my previous point, combined against Georgia and Auburn, two sensational defenses, 103 yards rushing. Not bad, but not difference-making statistics, which is what he needs to be if this offense is going to pull off a monumental upset against the number two team in the college football playoff rankings, the Alabama Crimson Tide. What can be done? What can be done to get him loose against this particular defense, which shuts down the run on just about everybody, I believe a year ago, 11 carries for only 15 yards for Fitzgerald? Yeah, that's the, and that's the key. I mean, uh, we don't know if we have the answer. You're hoping that with the linebacker problems that Alabama's having, that's where you're hoping that he can kind of break loose because teams that struggle at linebacker, that's where those are the ones that he's traditionally – been really solid against. I mean, probably his best game ever last year was against Ole Miss, and they had they have terrible linebacking problems. Uh, so that's what you're hoping if you're Mississippi State that the offensive line can eat up the defensive line and to give Eris Williams, who who doesn't get credit for what he is to Nick Fitzgerald's running game. Nick, if you look at almost every big run that Nick Fitzgerald has, Eris Williams is out in front blocking for him. I mean, Eris Williams has good running stats himself, but where he takes. Uh, this offense to the next level is with his ability to get out in front and be a lead blocker or to help him pass protection for Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, if the offensive line can eat up the defensive line and then that inexperienced linebacking core that's there for Alabama that is struggling with injuries, they got tons of talent. I mean, they're replacing four and five-star linebackers and four five-star linebackers. They've got tons of talent, but if he can get out there and – get a block on a linebacker and open up a, open up a hole for Nick Fitzgerald, that's where you're hoping that you can see this. Does it happen? I don't know. Uh, it's This offensive line from Mississippi has been really good this year. It's one of the better ones I've seen from John Hevesy, the offensive line coach for Mississippi State. He's done an incredible job getting this group of very under-recruited offensive linemen to play as a group and to just clear lanes left and right for the running attack this year. If he can get them, those guys to really – play their best game, that'll open up some holes for this year, and that's when, that's when he's deadly. That's when he's lethal. Now let's spin the conversation to Coach Mullen. I think it's pretty safe to say that he's one of the better coaches in the SEC, maybe as high as number two or number three behind the obvious Nick Saban. But this is a guy that's now year nine in Starkville. He's got a nice little niche for himself where if you win nine or ten games for this program, you're a god. I mean, you really are. This program was under 500 historically before he got there. Lots of three, four, and five win seasons. And consequently, if you only win six or seven every now and then, like he just did a year ago, by the way, there's not a whole lot of pressure cooker situation for him. For mostly it's, hey, coach, that's okay. Go get him next year because he doesn't have the expectations for a team like this that he might in some of the more blue-blooded programs in the SEC. That being said, his name has been thrown around in places like Florida, where he was the offensive coordinator for four season and seasons and won a couple of national championships. You'll hear his name tied to Tennessee as well. Anybody outside of Starkville will tell you that Florida's a better job than Mississippi State. Tennessee is a better job than Mississippi State. I have my opinion. What say you about Coach Mullen, where he is now, and how legitimate of a candidate he is for some of these openings? 
Well, I think he's a legitimate candidate, but I think what also people tend to forget is he's also one of the highest-paid coaches in the country. Uh, he's making about $4.5 million a year. I feel pretty pretty confident saying that whether he's at Mississippi State next year or at some other program next year, he's going to be making at least $5.5 million. Uh, just based off of what John Cohen has done, I think he's going to give him a, a solid raise up to that point. Uh, so if you're in a program trying to come and get him, you're going to have to pay at least probably $6 million, maybe even more, to get him out of Starkville. Uh, because, I mean, if you can make $5.5 million, you know, with a 9 or 10 game win, season a nine or ten win season once every four or five years and just be around seven or eight the rest of the time that's a pretty good job if you can get it so will he leave he may leave eventually there will probably eventually come a time when this coach the coach takes that in and it could be this year now my thing is yeah people talk about tennessee they talk about florida i often wonder if if he ever decides to leave if it's not for a college job, but for an NFL job. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the way, ever since Dak Prescott made it the Cowboys and his success there in Dallas, I mean, a lot of that credit goes to the reason he's as good as he is goes to Dan Mullen because of the fact that he developed him. It wouldn't surprise me to see an NFL team say, hey, we need a, we need a guy that can get a quarterback developed. Dan Mullen has shown that he can do that. Maybe let's take a look at him. That's where I often wonder if he, if he decides he can't win anymore and that he's done all that he can do at Mississippi State if he doesn't look towards the NFL. Because the one thing that most people say is his weakness would be his recruiting. You don't have to do that in the NFL. So, I don't know. Like I said, I think, I think he's probably safe just because I don't know that you can convince big, huge donors at the school to fork up, you know, $6 million, $6 million plus dollars for a guy who at this point hasn't beaten Alabama, has his best finish is – second in the SEC West, while a Mississippi State fan sees and understands why he's considered so valuable the way that they, he is, it's maybe not quite as evident to a Florida or a Tennessee donor who's looking for somebody with a championship pedigree, if you see what I'm saying. No, I absolutely see what you're saying, and I said it on this podcast, as a matter of fact, as recently as two days ago. I don't know why Dan Mullen will leave a relatively low pressure situation in Starkville for a high pressure situation in a Gainesville or a Knoxville because if you take a job like that if you sign a five or six year contract making five six seven million dollars a year if you don't win the division by year two you're in serious trouble already Jim McElwain was a pretty good coach Florida already got rid of him there was a nice resume for Butch Jones before he got to Knoxville he won't be around much longer so it seems like coach Mullen can be very comfortable where he is He's going to make a ton of money. There's not going to be a huge amount of pressure. If he has an off year or two, it's not that big deal. Of course you want more, but just how much further could he possibly take this program? We saw the heights in 2014 when they were number one in the country. Had never happened before in the 100-plus year history on the gridiron for that school. Maybe that was the apex. I think this is a good team. This is a great fan base. This is a fantastic coach. But is it even possible for the Bulldogs in the state they are, with the history they have, with the competition they have in the West, to truly be a 10-win team on a yearly basis? I don't think so. Do you think that's even possible? On a yearly basis, no. Is it possible every three or four years? I bet I think it's possible. I mean, you're looking at next year. I mean, for example, 2014, Mississippi State goes 10-3. and three. Uh, Next year, four years later. This team is bringing back just about everybody. I think they've only got five players that are projected to leave. Now, they could have a player or two who goes to the NFL draft early, but 
you're set up again. I mean, this team this year may end up winning nine, and if you throw in, if they can get to a bowl game, well, they obviously will get to a bowl game, but if they can win that bowl game and win against Arkansas, win against Ole Miss, even if you lose to Alabama this week, and then win that bowl game, you're still at 10-3 and three again. Uh, and next year, you're set up to have a really special season. So you can do that every so often at Mississippi State. I don't know that you can get to the point, unless he can get to a point where he recruits in the top 15, I don't see that. And he hasn't shown that he can. Now, he's recruited a little bit better the last few years, but I don't know that he's going to ever get the program recruiting every year top 15 level. You can take that talent. He's shown that he can develop under-recruited guys and turn them in to – NFL caliber players, look at Preston Smith of the Washington Redskins. He's having a really nice career, and he was a two-star guy coming out of high school. Uh, but unless he can get consistently a little bit higher where he's working with a little bit pure, more developed talent coming into college, I don't know that he can do it every single year. It's all about the recruiting. If you can recruit the top-end guys, you can compete at the top-end level. And he can have these special seasons because he can show he's shown that he can develop the talent every so often, but he's not going to do it every single year. Now, let me tell you one more reason why now is not the time for Coach Mullen to leave Mississippi State. All you have to do is look across the Magnolia State to what's going on in Oxford right now. And Ole Miss is potentially going to come unglued here if the NCAA finally makes up its mind on the sanctions. But everybody assumes that there's going to be more scholarship restrictions. You only have an interim coach in there right now. Who knows if you can hire a big-name guy to take over at Ole Miss. And a lot of the recruiting in the state of Mississippi, to some degree, is a zero-sum game. So many of those high school kids... They make up their minds between Mississippi and Mississippi State. Yes, every blue moon, you get a five-star stud like a Cam Akers. But you know what? He's going to get lured to a place like Florida State. It's very tough to keep him. But if old, the more Ole Miss goes down, it's like a seesaw. The more Mississippi State is going to go up. Maybe you'll get Mullen out of Starkville at some point, but now does not seem like the time to do it, if you ask me. Yeah, that's one other thing that we you know we all talked about, and this is one of the thing that we've talked about a little bit here in the state of Mississippi is this. Assuming everything happens like what a lot of people think is going to happen with the NCAA sanctions on Ole Miss, most people assume there's going to probably be one more year bowl. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. The scholar, there will be more scholarship restrictions. If there weren't, they would have already. I think there, this would have been a much quicker process. Uh, how many? I don't know, but you have a really good chance to bury the, the in-state rival of Ole Miss. And if you can do that, then, yeah, you set yourself up really well because while there's not a ton of five-star talent, there's, some, there are some, there's enough players in the state of Mississippi. If you can capitalize on all the top-end talent and you can get all of them at one school, then you can certainly help yourself along the way. But right now, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, they end up kind of splitting that top-end group. And, it just, and Ole Miss has done a really nice job of going outside the state, but Mississippi State has never been able to do that. They've always recruited, for the most part, within their, within their recruiting circle, and that's kind of where they've stuck to. If you can get all those top-end guys in Mississippi, if you can keep them in the state, then, yeah, you're going to have a much better chance of not only pushing Ole Miss down to the bottom, but pushing yourself to the top because you're taking away some of the players that they would want to have. Uh, and that's just going to make your job a whole heck of a lot easier in terms of recruiting. Because, like, like I said, that's been the one area he has not excelled at is in recruiting. And if you can, if your biggest competition for those players is irrelevant, then you're setting yourself up really well for the, for the future. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate the insight and hope to do it again sometime.
I appreciate it. No problem, John. That was Justin Strong, the manager of For Whom the Cowbell Tolls on the SB Nation Network. Covers Mississippi State football very well. Remember to follow him on Twitter at FWTCT. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Special thanks to our friends here at WDAE in Tampa, as well as our sponsor, Sweet Hop. If you want to go to the SEC championship game in style, visit SweetHop.com. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast can be found. And be sure to give the show a rating as well. My name is John Christ, and for all SEC all the time, visit SaturdayDownSouth.com. Come